We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. It is Friday and it is game week. I'm your host, Max Torres. That's Graham Metzger, and we are here to give you our final thoughts ahead of the season opening game between the number 11 Oregon Ducks and the number three Georgia Bulldogs Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Dan Lanning's return against his uh, former team, his debut as a head coach, Georgia's uh, start at a uh, national title defense, uh, you know, a run at repeating as national champions. There's a whole bunch of storylines. We had a podcast earlier in the week with Dogs Daily publisher, Brooks Austin. Go give that a listen if you haven't already. That's on my YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Taurus. And you can find the podcast, Ducks Dish Podcast, on your platform app of choice. Uh, but yeah, before we get into the show, man, Graham, how we doing, man? Been a minute since uh, since you've been on. Excited to get into the show. Max, I'm super excited to get into it. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, it's one day away. I think I feel like we've been looking towards this game for for the whole year, you know, ever since uh, Oregon football wrapped up in January, we've been so ready for this matchup. So it almost doesn't feel real that it's about to happen. But I think I speak for both of us when I say we're so ready. Oh, yeah, we're we're big time ready for this game. Um, it's going to be a really fun weekend of football. We had Penn State and Purdue last night, as well as Pitt and West Virginia, two just bangers of like awesome games on thursday night something we're not really used to but uh definitely something that we'll take seeing that we want all the college football that we can get um just a quick side note i do have my fan going so uh i'm gonna try to mute myself uh when i'm not talking just to to keep it uh keep the audio as nice as possible we got as a lot of folks know we got a little west coast heat wave so uh we're just doing our best to uh bear through it um but yeah it's going to be a fun episode of the podcast so we're going to give some of our final thoughts on this game uh we're going to talk about what dan landing has said kind of throughout the week what players have said throughout the week a little bit too uh give our score predictions which we already gave on ducksdigest.com that's where you guys can always find those uh earliest um and then we're also also going to take some mailbag questions i put out a tweet uh at mtorus sports is where you can follow me and uh, I got some people that uh, sent in some questions, but I also want to encourage you guys, if you're watching live here on the YouTube channel, hop in that comment section in the live chat and uh, throw a question our way. It uh, looks like we already got some some people here. Gerard is a longtime listener saying, let's get this program started. My guy out there in the 408, San Jose, love to hear it. Mikey G's here as well saying, let's go Ducks. Go duckies, go ducks. We're seeing a lot of posts about uh, Oregon fans, you know, flocking to Atlanta, trying to trying to take it over, or at least you know do their best to to make sure that the fan base is well represented. Uh, I definitely wish I was out there in Atlanta for that game, uh, but uh, definitely had to had to choose to stay home. But super stoked to cover it and watch it this weekend. Yeah, I I have been hearing. You know, Max, you were telling us a little bit um, about the heat wave that we're having over here. I'm hearing that it is hot and it is raining in Atlanta right now, really humid thunderstorms. So, you know, pick your poison East coast, West coast. And I don't know if either of them is the most uh, hospitable place right now. Yeah, it's, it's a little rough. I mean, you're going to kind of get your extreme weather or, you know, your weird weather patterns, wherever you go in the country. Uh, you just got to kind of do your best to deal with it. That's all you can do. 
but uh, the show goes on, uh, you know, whether it be the Chick-fil-A kickoff game or the Duck's Dish podcast. So uh, we're excited. I think uh, I think it'd be fun to start with some mailbag questions, Graham. And then uh, after that, maybe we can get into our predictions a little bit and uh, see what uh, people have to say um, in the in the comments. So let's go ahead and do that. Um, got four interesting questions here. So we'll each give our take and, and just try to have some some good conversation here. Uh, Xander Brown asks, who's the guy the SEC media is raving about on the Ducks after the game, win or lose? And who's the guy on the Duck, who's the guy Duck fans are raving about after the game, also win or lose? Um, I think it'd be fun to do maybe one guy on each side of the ball. But I think for me, the guy that SEC media is going to be raving about uh, for Oregon after this game is probably going to be Brandon Dorless um, because he has really been the the biggest force in Oregon's on Oregon's defensive line, the biggest consistent force on Oregon's defensive line since he got to Eugene. Um, obviously, you got to give credit to Kayvon Thibodeau last year and, and you know, Popo Mavai. Those guys in the interior don't often get the praise that they deserve, uh, but Graham, this is one of the deepest defensive lines that I think Oregon's had. I was thinking that one of the deepest and one of the biggest defensive lines that Oregon has had from a roster standpoint since that 2014 national championship run when they had DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead lining up on the on the same uh, same defensive line. So I'm going to go with Brandon Dorless on defense because that's such a big deal for Oregon to be able to match Georgia's physicality, stop the run. I mean, did you see, we all saw how far – Stopping the run took Oregon last year against Ohio State, and I think that's got to be a, a big piece of where the defensive game plan starts this weekend. Max, I really like that point that you started with because going into the Ohio State game last year, uh, we knew that Kayvon Thibodeau was going to be out. It's not on the defensive line, but we also knew Justin Flo was going to be out. And I really did not have a lot of confidence in Oregon's defensive line going into that game. Uh, but now you have the same guys that proved themselves in the horseshoe last year. You got Braden Swinson, you got Doralist, like you were talking about, and Popo. Um, and I, I completely agree with you that this is one of the deepest uh, defensive lines that Oregon has had in a really long time. And it's one that I have confidence in um, to at least show up in this game and make it a competition. Um, I would say my personal choice uh, for – the guy that the SEC media is going to be raving about, I, I got to say Justin Flo. I just think that anybody that hasn't had a fair chance to see this guy play football in an actual game, which is unfortunately a lot of us, yeah, I mean, it's, it's groundbreaking. Even just the minimal time that he played against Fresno State last year before he got injured in that very first uh, game opener, I mean, he was electric. He's impossible to miss uh, when you're looking at the play. Um, so... I think a good game, a full game for Justin Flo will definitely turn some heads that weren't already looking. Yeah, Justin Flo is a is a great person to go to uh, for for this question um, because I think a, a part that makes it interesting is Kirby Smart earlier in the week talked about Oregon's linebackers and he mentioned Justin Flo, Noah Sewell. Um, I actually don't know if he mentioned them by name, but everybody like you know how coaches are sometimes they'll just do numbers or they'll keep it kind of vague. Um, but he, suffice it to say, you know, just paraphrasing, he was basically saying, you know, those are two guys that we are very familiar with because we recruited them when they were coming out of high school. And these are guys that you would, let's just say in the past, you know, three to four years, maybe before Mario Cristobal really turned the gear, flipped the switch for recruiting at Oregon. These are guys that you would expect to be playing in the SEC um, in, in recent years. So I think the fact that Oregon has both of these guys on their team is obviously awesome. Uh, this is Flo's return from injury. That's yet another storyline. I, I remember I was writing some story earlier this week for Ducks Digest, and I was kind of saying, you know, that the storylines almost write themselves because there's just so much that's happened during this offseason. There's so many unique angles for this Oregon-Georgia game. Um, their first time playing since 1977, I believe it was. Uh, and then all the connections with the, the coaching staff, obviously Brian McClendon is, is back on staff there at Georgia after leaving Oregon going to Miami for uh, maybe a little bit of Cuban coffee with Mario Cristobal. And then he said, okay, no, I'll, I'll actually on second thought, I'll go to Athens uh, and, and join the uh, defending national champions. That, that sounds like fun to me. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that that was the point that I just wanted to bring up that, that Kirby smart says that those are two guys that they're very familiar with. And it's, it's hard to draw up a better game for Flo's return 
And I think to just really give us a good feel for how great this duo can really be between Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, because believe it or not, this might be the last season we see Justin Flo playing at Oregon if he does end up having a good enough season to, to test NFL waters, which it kind of feels like that's the indication or that's the, the feeling right now uh, around Oregon and just, you know, national national pundits. Yeah, and I think, honestly, Oregon fans would not have too much of a problem with that. Yes, maybe you miss out on some time with Justin Flo. That's got to hurt. But if he were to have such a good season that he could take it right to the NFL, I don't think there will be many Ducks fans complaining about his performance. Yeah, so as weird as it sounds, maybe this is Justin Flo's last season at Oregon. Uh, I don't think that that's, uh, that's what fans necessarily want, like you mentioned, but it's it's uh, it would be a a very strong endorsement for the program, right? For, for Oregon to keep recruiting, landing, developing, and then ultimately sending these guys to the NFL quickly, three years, not four years. That's not to say you want to get rid of these guys, but you want to get them in playing as true freshmen. The more guys that you can do, uh, do that with on a consistent basis. then that, that is kind of the, the area that you want to find yourself in. Um, so now let's go ahead and answer this question for, uh, for offense because I think it's, it's asking SEC media is raving about and then who are Duck fans raving about, but I kind of feel like they go hand in hand to a degree, even though we know the SEC media doesn't always have the most respect for Pac-12, but they kind of dug themselves into a hole there just being an embarrassment of a conference. Um, but offensively, Graham, I want to go Dante Thornton um, because we know that Oregon's going to try to run the ball a lot, and I'm really excited about their running backs, the group of talented guys they have there. Uh, Sean Dollars uh, coming back from injury. Byron Carbo looking to follow up a pretty strong freshman campaign where he really didn't see a whole bunch of playing time, but like the most playing time we've seen from a freshman back at Oregon in quite some time. And then you got Bucky Irving and, and Noah Whittington coming in as well. But I think that for Oregon to win this game, that they're going to need to be willing to pass the ball. And I think that Dante Thornton, this is like a perfect time for him to, to really show how much he's grown, how comfortable he is in Kenny Dillingham's offense, how he's a matchup problem and can hang with these SEC defensive backs. I mean, Keely Ringo against Dante Thornton would be a sweet matchup to have uh, on Saturday, especially when you consider um, kind of a little bit of a flip in the storylines because Dante Thornton is from Baltimore. Keely Ringo is from Tacoma, I want to say. I know he was originally from Washington, and then he transferred to Saguaro out in Arizona to play his college ball. But like, yeah, they're from different coasts and they kind of were playing from like, you know, Keely Ringo, maybe you thought he was going to play for, for Oregon or what if, you know, Dante was playing for an SEC team. So I'm going to say that Dante Thornton is going to be the guy that SEC media and, and Duck fans are raving about uh, when this one's all said and done. You know, Max, it's tough to say. And I think I might have gone the opposite direction with you when uh, answering this question. Because okay. I do think that Oregon, if they are going to win this game, it's going to be some Bo Nix throwing the deep ball, Dante Thornton, Chris Hudson, those guys um, catching the big play ball. But I think in order for Oregon to get to that point in the game, they've got to at least try to establish the run game. Um, and I think if they really do want to win this game, they have to find some success there. It's not an easy task for sure. This is uh, a Georgia defense that may be one of the best at stopping the run in the nation. Um, even with losing all their starters, you know, they've still got guys like Jalen Carter in the trenches um, to make it difficult. But I think that Oregon fans will be loving uh, one of the uh, three running backs in uh, Byron Cardwell, Marquise Irving, and Noah Whittington. I think that those three, and then also Sean Dollars as well, is a really, really mean running back room. Um, and if not by the Georgia game, by the end of the season, I could see it being just as successful as Travis Dye was having success at the end of last season. Um, as C.J. Verdell showed at the beginning of last season. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, the offensive line, um, that's the real unsung hero. You know, they won't grab the headlines from fans like that. But all five starters return to the offensive line for Oregon. I think it'll make Byron Cardwell's job really easy. I'm expecting him to be the guy that really does it for Oregon if they're going to get this win. Yeah, and you make a good point. They're going to have to establish the run, I think, to, to really open up the entire offense. And, and that starts in the trenches uh, with the offensive line. Um, 
I guess I didn't want to go Bonex because I thought that was a pretty straightforward answer. But no, no fault, no fault for you there. Uh, I'm not faulting you there for for going with Bo uh, because he's going to have to have a good game if, if Oregon wants to be competitive in this one. Um, so I don't want to get too much into that though because that could be a little bit of a question that we have coming up. Uh, but really good question from Xander. Uh, I liked answering that one. But let's uh, let's keep moving on here. Uh, next question comes from Christopher Stipe. And Christopher asks, why did why does why does the masses think this staff will not succeed? All the coaches have at all levels up to this point. Good luck trying to stop them. Hashtag Oregon Strong, go Ducks. Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, a lot of people would, within the Oregon fan base would agree with this. Just that it feels like Oregon's coaching staff has been questioned quite a bit uh, since they got hired, and I think part of that has to do with maybe. Not, not some hesitation that I had, but I think one very important point that was running through my head when this coaching search was going on a- after Lanning got hired was, you know, when we were waiting to see how the rest of the staff filled out is because he's so young, he doesn't have a, a super extensive coaching tree. But at the same time, we saw that it doesn't matter how long you're necessarily coaching, but rather where you've been. And he's been at Alabama where he coached, uh, where he coached with uh, with Tosh, and then he's been at uh, at Memphis, uh, where he he coached with Kenny Dillingham, or maybe that was Arizona State. I could be I could be mixing things up a little bit, but I bring that point up to just say that I feel like I'm really I'm really encouraged by the way that he built out his staff. I don't think there's necessarily one weakness or one position group where I'm a little bit more skeptical or, or questioning. Um, but I think that this is just a big prove it game for this Oregon staff because you can't ask for much bigger of a game to get your legs under you and, and get started as a coaching staff. Yeah, Max, I think that at least when um, Mario Cristobal first left, I was kind of hoping that there were some coaches um, that would stick around at Oregon. Um, I, I think myself along with a lot of duck fans um really kind of fell in love with the last coaching staff even just outside of uh Cristobal you know I think of Alex Mirabal um immediately comes to my mind at you know he was the offensive line coach uh he really epitomized that trenches mentality that Cristobal had um he was a great guy on the team to to root for on the coaching staff so it, you know it takes time to get over that I think and to get to meet the the new coaches, but I have been impressed by really every single one of the hires that Dan Lanning made, especially um, Tosh Lapoy coming from the NFL and Adrian Clem coming, both of them coming from NFL gigs right before this. I don't see, um, you know, I think it's hard to see why people are writing off these coaches in my mind, at least at this point, even without them coaching a game for Oregon yet. Yeah, and that's the biggest point that I think I want to get to or I'm trying to hammer home is that they haven't coached in the game yet. And I feel like Oregon, as much as they can, has done everything right that you can without having the season going on. I think, you know, you've missed on the recruiting trail on some big offensive line targets, which is is definitely a little bit of a bummer. And then Jacoby Lane recently committed to USC when Oregon looked like they were in the driver's seat there after uh, extending an offer. Jacoby Lane, of course, being the 2023 wideout out of Arizona, six foot four speedster, really talented wide receiver that I'm really intrigued by. He was one of the top performers uh, at the elite 11 from a a skilled position standpoint. But I think really at the end of the day, you kind of have to just pump the brakes and really wait until the staff has a game under their belts to ultimately assess them off of. And even after that, wait until they get into, you know, conference play and see where things are at. I think that one of the biggest things you have to look for with this staff is can they make adjustments? Because that's not something that we saw any of, any of in, in those games against Utah. And that was totally unacceptable. So I think I, I understand a little bit of the skepticism uh, or maybe intrigue is a better way to put it. Cause that's where I would go with it. Um, but you got to wait and see what happens when they ultimately have a game under their belt. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in the hype. I think um, with uh, the recruits, Obviously, there's some misses. They've, they've found some hits as well um, already in, since they've joined. Um, I would say they haven't let their foot off the gas. I think Oregon, you know, in the recruiting rankings, I'd say they're pretty 
similarly ranked for this uh, 2022 class as they were for, you know, some of the seasons before, if not a little bit lower. But that you got to remember that's a recruiting season that they weren't there for the whole time. A really big part of recruiting, even though I feel like the best time, the most uh, recruits you see committing is kind of in this spring, summer type of area. Um, a lot of, you know, a big, one of the best recruiting tools for football teams, and certainly Oregon has used it, is inviting players to come to the games. So I think that once Oregon's back in Austin Stadium with these coaches, we got a little bit better feel for what the team is going to look like. Um, that will maybe convince some some critics. And Max, um, a really big point there on the adjustments, because it did really feel like Mario Cristobal's Oregon teams were, I don't want to say a one-trick pony, but like they would have their plan that they would execute, and if it wasn't working, then that might just be the end of the game. Um, definitely, you think of trying to pass the ball more uh, in his time on on the offensive side. Um, but we'll have to see. And I think Lanning will be tested right away with adjustments um, facing facing that Georgia defense. I don't want to get too far ahead into some of the other topics we'll talk about. But yeah, definitely adjustments are crucial if this coaching staff wants to stay around for a while. Yeah, and just to wrap up, Graham, on the recruiting side of, uh, of this question and kind of the discussion that we've been having, Oregon's class right now, I believe, by 247 is ranked number 14 in the country with 16 total commits. So they've kind of followed the pattern that we've seen recent coaching staffs. Uh, obviously, Mario Cristobal being the most recent coach before this is doing a lot of that heavy lifting in the spring and summer, building out a, bo- a bulk of your class. I feel like you, you got to feel really good about the secondary. Um, that, that's looking pretty full. Uh, a couple guys to keep an eye on there, Dalen Austin, Roger Pleasant. Uh, two really talented defensive backs in the 2023 class from the Southern California area. Dalen Austin already committed to LSU. And then Roger Pleasant has a top six that also includes Oregon and a handful of other Pac-12 teams. So uh, I think that those are the two guys that you want to keep an eye on to see if Oregon will potentially want to add some more uh, in the 2023 recruiting class. But they also really beefed up the defensive line, getting Michael Gardner, Tanner Green, Tavita Pomee. Uh, so I feel like the glaring weakness, if you want to call it that, or just position of need, and you've got a five-star quarterback, the top quarterback commit in program history. So I think that uh, that definitely bodes well for the future of the recruiting class. And uh, and I think that, you know, it's 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 better than some people might be thinking, but I think Oregon fans can be spoiled by recruiting sometimes just because they've had so much success uh, in recent years. And I'm totally fine with that because I love covering recruiting. Um, but let me move on to the next question, Graham. Don't want to spend too much time on any one question. Um, so let's see. Let me pull the other question up from our guy, Gerard. Uh, Gerard says, or Gerard asks, if Oregon defeats Georgia, what will be the two to three things Oregon did to win the game? If Oregon loses to Georgia, what will be the two, three, two to three things that prevented us from winning? Hashtag Ducks Dish. Hashtag Go Ducks. We love seeing the hashtag being used there so thank you gerard for that um yeah graham do you want to start with this one uh start give your answer first yeah i'll I'll give one thing to start that i think um oregon did do to win the game and i think um that will like i alluded to a little bit earlier that will be adjusting on defense but specifically to the tight end play a lot has been made um recently over Georgia's tight end room. Some have said, you know, it's one of the best ever. I don't know if I want to go that far, but there's definitely some really serious talent uh, in Georgia's tight end room. And uh, when Lanning talked about those tight ends, um, he talked about they're not just tight ends. He can play them in the wideout position, and then you've got a totally broken matchup uh, on who covers him. So what's the what's the answer? Do you go bigger do you have a linebacker cover uh those quick tight ends and risk maybe getting beaten uh just to have some more toughness in there you know uh account for their blocking or do you go a little bit smaller maybe put a safety uh a defensive back on the tight ends to make up for the quickness in those route running but then you're losing out on that physicality that the tight ends bring so i think if oregon defeats georgia they will have either found one player that was just playing very well on the tight ends, Brock Bowers, Eric Gilbert, um, or they just are 
making adjustments all the time, uh, switching up their looks and keeping the tight ends contained. And I think a reason that we should expect to see some adjustments is because Dan Lanning has been very, I don't want to say critical of himself, but just really, it's, it sounds like a cliche now because we've heard it so many times, but embracing the growth mindset himself too. Like, you know, being a first time coach, he's, he's been very self-critical of, of uh, just evaluating his own performance as a coach. And uh, I think that that'll really bode well for them just as far as, you know, okay, if something's not going right and, and, you know, you don't expect him to be stubborn. I think in, in his first game, I think, you know, all, all cards have to be on the table. So adjustments are great. Uh, containing the tight ends. That sounds like a, another one. I think for me, I'm going to go with running the ball. Uh, if, if Oregon can't run the ball against Georgia, I, I feel like that really could spell a pretty long day for them offensively uh, because we know that a, a lot of offenses, you have to be able to pound the rock uh, to open up the, the play action or to set up some other, uh, some other situations um, throughout the game. So I feel like running the ball has to be big. Um, and it's something that they should be able to do not only because of their experienced offensive line, but those great running backs that we talked about. Um, so I'm going to say running the ball is super important just to establish that, you know, we're not going to shy away from, you know, this really loaded defensive front that, that features Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, just to name a few, uh, just two absolute studs. Uh, of, of to name a few on that defense. So I'm going to say that run the ball has to be one thing that Oregon definitely has to do to win the game. I, I totally agree with you. I was thinking about saying the run the ball. You know, I, I didn't want to just hit home on the, the point I was talking about with the, the running backs earlier, but I totally agree. I think Oregon is not in this game at all. If they can't get that run game going, you got to, especially against a good defense like Georgia, you got to prove that, you know, they should, the defense should get a little tighter, should send a little bit more pressure, expecting a run to open up those passing lanes for Bo Nix and the Oregon wide receivers. Another thing that I think is going to be really crucial for Oregon to do in this game, Graham, you got to limit turnovers. You got to limit turnovers and you got to force turnovers. Uh, I think that, you know, Ohio State is a great example of that just because it felt like the margin for error was so small but the Ducks were able to take care of the ball there. And then they got that interception at the end. Uh, Verona McKinley picking off CJ Stroud. That was obviously huge. Um, but yeah, so I think that that doing that is going to be really big because you already face a pretty big uphill battle against what many think is going to be uh, going to be the best defense in the nation. So you can't give them anything and then you got to take it. Uh, take it from them as, as the uh, as the defense and make them pay for it. I mean, turnovers are great no matter what, but that's the next step. You don't want to just get a turnover and then be like, oh, okay, now I went three and out. And then it's like, well, what was all that for? Like the defense is like, okay, we're not, now we're going back out because the offense couldn't do anything. So I think those are some of the biggest keys for me uh, that, that I like to consider for this one. Uh, run the ball, win the turnover battle, take care of the ball. And, uh, and then, like you said, you got to make some adjustments for, for what you're seeing out there. Um, let's see. And then how about how about the other part of this question? If Oregon loses to Georgia, what will be the two to three things that prevented them from winning? I think uh, it kind of goes along with what you were saying, Max, but I think staying too uh, single-minded in their offense, either staying too much to the pass or too much to the run and not mixing up those looks enough. I think that you know, maybe it is just a little bit of um, still uh, feelings I have from the Mario Cristobal era, but I want the Ducks to be able to air out the ball. You know, we've got a quarter, the Ducks have got a quarterback that uh, has proven both that he can air out the ball, can throw the deep pass with great success, and he's shown Bo Nix that he has turnover issues, that he will throw the interception here and there. Um, so I think that not putting too much pressure on Bo Nix. If, if he has too much pressure, if the game is on his back for the whole time, I don't see Oregon winning. Um, I would like, this isn't, I guess, uh, something that would prevent Oregon from winning, but I would really like Oregon to involve their tight ends in the passing game a little bit more. It's something that was really dearly missed, I think, in last year's Oregon offense. And it kind of goes along with if Bo Nix is just trying to feed his receivers, um, I think that's something that the Georgia defense will pick up on really quickly. Okay, yeah. So not don't stay one dimensional on, on offense. I think that's kind of one of the biggest points you're getting at. You got to keep giving them varied looks, 
keep him honest. And, and I think that, that that's something I expect to see from Dillingham because it seems like he wants to do a more balanced approach, uh, whereas we all know how run-heavy Mario Cristobal's offense, well, Joe Moorhead's, you can call it Mario Cristobal's offense, whatever you want. Um, we all know how one-dimensional that got. So I'm going to say that. And then I think a, another thing that could prevent them from winning is just, you know, mental errors or fundamental errors, you know, missed tackles, uh, just those, those small things that you shouldn't have to think twice about or, or second guess. Um, and, and that is, is part of what Lenny was saying in his press conferences this week, just about how you got to do, you got to do the little things and uh, you got to be able to out hustle them, out hit them um, and, and just do those little things right. So that you're, you know, you don't make bad things worse. Like we've talked about that with Bo Nix at quarterback. I think the same thing goes for the defense. Uh, you know, you don't want to be arm tackling. And I think that another thing that could prevent them from winning, not to not to harp on them or criticize them, but like I'm just really, really interested to see how this secondary looks against Georgia because that's been my biggest question mark on this team the entire offseason. We only have the spring game to go off of. Uh, we know Georgia's tight ends are loaded. Their running backs are good. They're white. Like anywhere you look, there's going to be some serious talent and there's going to be some young guys that I think are going to be asked to contribute in this game. So with all the versatility and, uh, you know, cross training that we've heard about, um, it seems like we're going to see those guys rotating quite a bit in the secondary on Saturday. Yeah. And the stuff that uh, Coach Lanning, Coach Demetrius Martin talk about cross training players. It's for this game, you know? I don't think there's any game where you need guys in positions to be uh, flexible, be hybrids, any more than this game where there's so much talent at every position. Um, You need safeties to be able to cover tight ends, wide receivers, uh, just coverage, you know? Um, You're you're asking a lot from your players, and that's why the Ducks have been working so hard at cross-training. But I do think that the Ducks have some very talented players, some very versatile players um, that can, that can help them out in this category. Yeah. Last point I want to hit on here to, to answer this question. Then we're going to get to a quick break. You just don't beat yourselves. Like, you know, the, the, the margin for error is already so small. You don't want to be shooting yourself in the foot. And then maybe that's the, the difference between a win and a loss. Right. So I think you just got to play a clean game. Uh, take what the defense gives you. And, um, and don't try to, you know, don't try to overcomplicate things. Um, that, that's the biggest balance that the, that Lane's talked about trying to strike, you know, with the new offense, new defense, it goes both ways. You don't want to have these guys overthinking things. You want to just be able to go out there and play, do their thing, be confident, be comfortable. And, and that's something that I think they're, they're doing everything they can to set themselves up for success. I think we got one more qu- uh, question in the mailbag, which we will get to on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. If you're listening on podcast, we have more Oregon football mailbag and more Georgia Oregon preview after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
All right, we are back uh, on the Ducks Dish podcast. We are doing our final thoughts ahead of uh, Oregon versus Georgia in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. We got our last mailbag question to get to. And then after that, we're going to get to our predictions, our score predictions for the game. Graham and I and some of the other writers at Ducks Digest got together. But this is our last question, which comes from Go Ducks team Mitch. Who are some potential X factors in this game for Oregon? Who are some guys that could make plays to swing momentum? Um, I think for for X factors, let let's go on uh, on offense a little bit. I already talked about Dante Thornton, so I don't want to choose him again. Uh, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Seven McGee. I think that I'm not necessarily saying he's the best receiver on the team, but he's the guy that has that really big playability. Whether it's something short and intermediate, or maybe something down the field. Um, you know, Oregon's defensive backs were getting pretty toasted in that spring game uh, as far as just getting beat or maybe having some kind of co- lapse in coverage. And that's why Seven was one of three receivers that was able to turn in a 100-plus yard receiving performance. But my X factor in this one, I'm going to go with Seven McGee. Uh, he looks like he's just super comfortable as a wide receiver, albeit in pretty much just the spring game. We saw him move to wide receiver toward the tail end of last season when the Ducks had some depth issues. But I'm going to go with Seven McGee. I think that's the guy that they turn to when they need an explosive play. And uh, I think that he'll show up and answer the call. I really like that answer, Max. Seven McGee is one of those guys, even though we're talking about cross training for referring to defensive backs, I think Seven McGee is someone, is a player that you just really need um, on this Oregon football team. He is so athletic. He's so quick. Um, Him being able to catch the ball and being, moved over full-time to wide receiver is really exciting to me. I would love to see him use, maybe this is a bit too much of a dream, but I'd love to see just getting the ball in his hands quickly from the past, kind of like how NFL offenses use Debo Samuel or Cooper Cup, just really just getting the ball to your quickest, fastest player. Um, it's never a bad idea. It's never a bad idea. So I really like that uh, X factor on offense, Max. For me, I you know I did say a little earlier that I want. I really want Oregon to uh, pass to their tight end. So I'm going to go uh, a slash X factor. I'm going to choose two guys, Terrence Ferguson and Maliki Matavo, um, the two uh, top tight ends for Oregon. I think that they'll have some really big chances in this game. Maybe they won't put up the most yards, but I think on the goal line in the red zone, uh, the Ducks should really be looking to these guys. And I could see both of them walking off with a touchdown if it's a good day for Oregon football. And Maliki Montevallo got his first college touchdown against Ohio State last year in the shoe. So we know that he can show up in big games. And uh, Terrence Ferguson as well. He's a super athletic tight end. Uh, Lenny was talking earlier this week about how he was using both of those guys along with Terrell Tillman to kind of imitate Brock Bowers and, and give them uh, give the defense a good look. So I guess the, the scout team is called like the look team. Uh, and that's a trend that's going to continue throughout the season. That was kind of another big takeaway from Lenny this week is that he's going to be using some of the top guys, some of the starters, even if he has to, uh, to prepare for the opponents. And we know how underutilized Oregon's tight ends were last season. So I'm all on board for that one, Graham. Uh, Let's switch over to defense now. Um, How about you go first so I don't steal your guy? Sure, sure. Um, I'm going to go with Jeffrey Bassa for my X Factor on defense. He is a guy, you know, we've been telling you about cross-training but Jeffrey Bossa was uh, the precursor to that, I feel like, because even before uh, Coach Martin and Coach Lanning came in with this idea of cross-training, um, Jeffrey Bossa was already getting moved last season. He started at safety, and now coming into this season, he's a linebacker. He is um, the perfect model to me for a player that can do both, you know, that box-to-box type of guy. You know, he can drop into where the, he's big enough, uh, strong enough to drop into where the linebackers are playing and quick enough to um, to guard, you know, uh, tight ends, guard uh, receivers. So I think if Oregon does get a full dose of those Georgia tight ends, like we're expecting, he's going to be huge um, in in limiting how effective they are. That's a really good answer, and honestly, one that I wasn't expecting, Graham. So uh, I, I've been a big Jeff Bossa fan uh, since last season. Uh, covered him a little bit coming out of high school, so knew he was a talented guy. Um, 
but I think he's a really good solution as far as who you could try to uh, try to get to cover, uh, you know, one of those tight ends, or if you want to go with, with uh, Brock Bowers, because I think Brock Bowers is around 220. I could be wrong, but I, I think that's what he is. And, and Bossa is like 6'2", 212, I think. Um, so, you know, I think you're, you're always going to have that challenge of if you go too big with a linebacker, they may not be able to match up with the speed. If you go smaller with a defensive back, they might get out-muscled. Like, it's so hard to find that perfect combo there, but I think that Bossa would be a good one. It seems like Bennett Williams is going to be someone that they're going to turn to a lot as one of the most experienced safeties on the team. He's got big playability. We know he's physical. Uh, I remember in 2020, I was constantly asking myself, why isn't Bennett Williams playing more? And then he really cemented his role last year before he got hurt, uh, was picking off passes left and right with that uh, secondary in the earlier half of the season. And they were really that bend, don't break defense last year, which is not something that's going to get them where they need to go. And it's certainly not going to, I mean, maybe it won't, I'm not going to say that it'll prevent them from winning, but it's not the the mentality you want to come out with uh, against the defending national champions. So you're saying Jeff Bossa. I'm going to go with uh, with Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, that dynamic duo, uh, primarily because when you talk this question about, you know, make plays to swing momentum, the last time we saw Noah Sewell and Justin Flo on the field together, they were forcing fumbles like left and right. Um, and, and those are also guys that uh, are going to be tough to block if they get a full head of steam. I think that Noah Sewell, I don't know the numbers, but he was one of the most successful pass rushers and run stuffers for Oregon last year. Um, so we know that he's someone that I feel Dan Lanning and Tosh LePoy have to feel comfortable turning to when they need a big play. Um, and, and it seems like he's just taking a, another step this year. Uh, I like to call him the cyborg because he's just always just an animal and he's just laying it all out there on the line and doing whatever the team asks of him. Um, but, but Noah Sewell and Justin Flo as maybe easy of an answer as it is, I think those are two guys that, you're going to need to step up and make some big plays. And, and I think those could be some, some defensive X factors there and, and someone that uh, could make big plays to swing the momentum for the ducks. Yeah. You know what, Max, just because it's uh, an easy answer doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, uh, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, should they be healthy for a whole season could be the best linebacker duo in the nation. Um, especially, you know, the, I, I know Sewell and, and I'm assuming Flo, we haven't seen as much of him, but both of them just so good at blitzing, at rushing the quarterback. Um, so I'm really interested to see that, see how uh, Pac-12 quarterbacks and starting with Stetson Bennett uh, and the Georgia quarterback um, deal with those two dudes coming full speed at them. I mean, I cannot think of a more scary sight, honestly. Yeah, they're going to play a big role in Oregon's defensive game plan tomorrow, no doubt about it. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up for the mailbag section uh, of the podcast. We already went 40 minutes, so I think we got a lot of really good stuff out of that. Thank you for submitting your questions. Always remember you can uh, submit your question for the podcast by tweeting at me on Twitter at mtorussports and by using the Ducks Dish hashtag. So with that being said, let's hop into our next portion of the podcast, and that is our score predictions for the Oregon versus Georgia game season opener for the Ducks. Um, Quick side note, Gerard, I was actually literally just thinking about that. We just passed the 24-hour mark, 23 hours and 45 minutes from right now is kickoff. Uh, So yeah, the excitement just continues to build. Um, But yeah, with all that being said, let's get into our score predictions. Uh, A reminder that you guys can find these stories. They're usually posted on Tuesday or Wednesday on Ducks Digest. Um, Yeah, usually I said, whoa. Yeah, Wednesday is usually the day that I go for um, that's where you can find it. I'm going to put my prediction, uh, 35-24 Georgia is, is what I wrote. Um, if you guys have been following the betting odds, uh, sports books haven't been super kind to Oregon in terms of giving them uh, a lot of uh, faith in this game or giving them uh, much of a chance. 17 points, I believe, is the spread. Um, and while I don't see Oregon winning this game, uh, I see them at least being able to cover for sure. Um and I, th- I think that this is a game where you're going to see how far Oregon's roster has come, much like in the Ohio State game, where you can compete with a team that's this talented. But at the end of the day, I think Georgia still has more talent from top to bottom. It's uh, on the road in Athens. Uh, you have a new offense, new defense, uh, another new starting quarterback. We can't underrate how important the quarterback play is there. 
Um, I'm not saying I'm not confident in Bo Nix, but there's just going to be some kinks that you have to work out. Um, and, and I think that uh, predicting the win is, is, is maybe uh, a bit more than I'm uh, willing to do right now. So I have Georgia 35 to 24, uh, but I still think that if we're going to keep it close like that, obviously that's 11 points. I, I think that you can still come away from this game with some positives, even if you don't get a win on the scoreboard at the end of the day. Yeah, Max, to, before I give my prediction, I, I do want to say something about the spread. I do think it's a little bit ridiculous. On Like, I, I don't know. I, maybe ridiculous is a bit harsh, but 17 points is really – is it, it seems a little disrespectful to me, to, to Oregon. Um, last year, for, for reference, against Ohio State before the game, the spread was 15 points. Um, and so no matter what I think – I, I can't imagine Oregon not covering uh, that spread. But my prediction for the game is that Oregon will win 28 to 24. Um, I think I see Bo Nix getting uh, a couple of touchdown passes, um, hopefully one to the tight ends uh, that like, like I was saying a little bit earlier, uh, I think the running back uh, core will get uh, a couple of touchdowns as well. But really I think that, the Oregon defense will come to play. I think that Stetson Bennett maybe is a little bit overhyped in this, uh, in this moment in time, he had a fantastic uh, end to the season for Georgia. And I would really be surprised if he keeps that level of play going, even though he was playing against some of the top defenses in the nation. Of course he played against Alabama and played a great game, but I, I would be surprised if he, if he plays that well, again, I'm expecting at least uh a turnover or two from Stetson Bennett. And um, at the end of the day, I think that Oregon storms in again, just like they did last year to the shoe. They're going to storm into Mercedes Benz and come out with that tight win. It'll be so close, Max. I really like what you said about how the margin of error is so small. And you could feel it the whole time watching the Ohio State game last year. That is like one mistake and Oregon is done. They, they not gonna come, they're not going to come back from that. And they were able to just tiptoe that line and stay in the driver's seat and i see a pretty similar result tomorrow yeah and, and another thing well just to, to hit on your point about stetson bennett it feels like he was pretty underrated until they got to the national championship and then he was able to, to help them get that win over over alabama which is certainly nothing to scoff at that's no small task so i feel like that's a a reason you know to to think that he really is that guy um, but I agree. I think that another key to the game for Oregon is going to be getting some pressure on Stetson Bennett, you know, knocking them around uh, early to, to show that you're able to contend with that offensive line and that you're not going to just let him sit in the pocket and get comfortable, do his thing. Um, but that Georgia offense is one that feels disrespected. Like, I think that a lot of people are just kind of, or they were in the offseason just latching onto that defense as a big reason that they were able to win. And I, I think that that Georgia offense took that and said, what you think that we didn't play a role in that? You think that we're not going to come out and, and just, you know, dominate. So that's a Georgia offense that I think feels really, it feels really not disrespected, but they're fired up. Like they're determined. I think their biggest thing this offseason was to be more explosive. They certainly have the guys to do that. Um, as we've talked about a couple of the big names here. Uh, so Oregon's going to have to try to get some pressure on Stetson Bennett. That's something that they really didn't do against Ohio State. They were able to get two sacks, Braden Swinson, and then DJ Johnson's down the stretch, which was huge. But if you can't get pressure on Stetson Bennett, I think that you're going to be in for a long day um, because that was one of the biggest areas that uh, they the Ducks really struggled with last year against Ohio State. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can come out with, uh, with the win. Um, I think that one point that I'd be curious to get some of your thoughts on, and I talked about it on Monday's episode, I believe. And then I think I saw a comment on my YouTube channel is just about how much stock can we put into that Ohio state game when we're talking about Oregon's chances against uh, Georgia, because they're obviously two different teams, but I think the reason where a comparison is, is merited is because those are two of the top five programs in, in college football. Um, but there, yeah, there was a comment on one of my videos. I'll just read it now because I got it pulled up. The fact that Oregon fans think that matching Ohio State's physicality means you can match Georgia's is laughable. Georgia is Utah, and then in parentheses, whose physicality you can't match with better players. Looking forward to Saturday. I, I This was interesting because I think that 
that's what was so weird about those Utah games, right? Is because Oregon was able to match the physicality of Ohio State, and then you get to Utah, who you would think is probably less physical, um, definitely has a really good reputation of being a team that's tough to knock around. But um, I don't know if Utah is the best comparison for Georgia. Um, maybe in the Pac-12 it is, as far as a physicality standpoint. But I just wanted to bring that discussion point, get some of your thoughts, and, and maybe see what people think here in the chat. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, I don't think Utah and Georgia are comparable on that uh, level. Yes, Oregon got cooked by Utah twice last year. Um, but was the physicality the biggest thing that Oregon lost on? I'm not sure. I, it felt like they got dominated in every way in those games. So I, I didn't know uh, if the physicality was the biggest thing. But I think that the skill players that Ohio State had um, on their team last year shouldn't go uh, unnoticed or unmentioned as well. You've got Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. That's three first-round wide receivers uh, right there. You know, All of them did have good days, but Oregon was able to contain them enough or keep, like, like you said a little earlier, Max, that bend-don't-break defense um, in order to – end up winning the game and I I do believe that the games are pretty comparable just because Oregon is bringing back a lot of those players that were in the Ohio State game last year the players that they are not bringing back are mostly I think some of those defensive backs like Verone McKinley Michael Wright um they've Oregon has gotten some good replacements I think at those positions and they will also be not they also will not be going against such a talented wide receiver room. The tight ends are better for Georgia, yes, but I don't think the wide receiver room is better than that than last year's Ohio State, and I can't think of many that are better than that Ohio State wide receiver core last year. So, no, it's not a direct comparison. Um, not by any means. They're very different teams, and Georgia is probably more talented than that Ohio State team, but – I think that it's a good starting point for Oregon. It's a good way to see how that Oregon team with a lot of the same players this year uh, reacted to that hostile environment far, far away from Autzen uh, and overcame that. So, yeah, not not completely comparable, but I think Ohio State to Georgia is a little bit closer than uh, Georgia to Utah. Yeah, so I think... I think that it's it the comparison doesn't totally match up, but at the same time, I think he makes a good point by saying, I think you're inferring that I'm surprised that Oregon's physicality fell off as much as it did down the line after they showed, you know, so impressively against Ohio State. Um, we have a couple more, uh, a couple more uh, thoughts here, maybe about 10 minutes or so before we wrap up here, Graham. Um, I'm going to see if I can share my screen and my audio to play a little soundbite from landing, uh, this, this, uh, week. Um, hopefully you can hear it. If not, it's okay. We'll just scrap it and we can still talk about the quote. Uh, but I am sharing my screen. So let me know if you can hear this. It's a little five second clip when, uh, Dan Lanning was asked if there's any non-football activities planned, uh, in Atlanta. Oh, all right, I can't hear that one, so that's okay. Uh, I don't, I'm assuming you couldn't hear that either. Uh, but yeah, so Lanny was asked if there were any football, any non-football activities outside or during their trip to Atlanta, and he just shook his head and then he said, "We're going there for work. We got a job." So if you didn't think Dan Lanning was locked in, uh, you can go over my Twitter page and watch that clip. But he is absolutely, uh, he's absolutely locked in, as is the rest of this team. Um, and, and that that answer just fired me up and got me even more excited for uh, this game on Saturday. Yeah, I'm I'm right with you, Max. And it actually brings in something that I didn't really think about, um, and that he's not going to be doing any recruiting in the uh, Atlanta or Georgia Southern type of area, which um, I I didn't think about, but I'm I'm glad to hear that. You know, I definitely am hoping that the coaching staff will make a trip back out there at some point in the year. But it's good to hear um, that Oregon is staying really, uh, really focused. Um, and I think that it's it's really easy to get off topic or to make it kind of about himself in landing, you know, make it a revenge game. If 
focus too much on this game altogether because this is only the first game of the whole season, which I think that Lanning, uh, throughout his practices, at least before the final practices, he was saying, you know, we're not so focused on Georgia, just ourselves. Um, and so but overall, it's very, very good to hear uh, Lanning talk like that. Um, and, you know, uh, it's it sends a message to everyone else on the team that that's the way it's going to be. That's the way we travel. That's the way that we act as a team. Yeah, and, and I think that that would just add in another layer of complexity to this game that you just don't really want to deal with. Uh, because Lanning did say in his answer, like, we would normally do that, especially when you think about how Oregon needs to recruit nationally and how it's so much more difficult for them to get boots on the ground, get eyes on these prospects than a lot of these other schools like Georgia and the rest of the SEC and even some ACC schools. Um, but I just thought that was an interesting thing, uh, saying that they normally would, but this is the first time traveling, so I want to get everyone kind of um, kind of you know, up to speed. Um, let's see. I'm, there were some other ones, that some other quotes that were interesting. Um, Lenny was also asked about uh, where he's maybe going to be looking for inspiration uh, in his pregame speech, and he gave a pretty short and sweet answer, and he said, the speech ain't going to win this game we got to let our players play. Um, so that, that was just another one that, that got me fired up. Um, and it's just, he's just been a very strictly business type of coach. You know, he, there's definitely those questions that get asked every now and then Graham, where you can kind of tell, Oh, maybe this reporter is kind of trying to get a little bit of a headline uh, out of him. And uh, you know, it's just another example of, of how we know that Dan Lane's cut from the sec cloth. You said it perfectly right there, Max. He is cut from a different cloth. Um, and I like the cloth that he's cut from. Uh, Ducks fans, I'm sure do. He says all the right things. Um, his mentality, you know, I feel like he, he does talk a lot about growth mentality um, in his uh, practices among his players. And I think that he's really shown some different sides of him. I, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but just in the sense that he can focus on his team get them where they need to be as a unit together and then be able to shift gears on the week of, or, you know, maybe a little bit earlier of this big game and be ready to focus all business, you know, no, uh, I, I really love that, that quote that you gave too, you know, no pregame speech is going to win the game. And I think Ducks fans and hopefully Ducks players are ready to run through a wall for Dan Lanning before he's even coached a game. Yeah, it's you know you you just gotta listen to the pressers and, and you can get pretty excited. Not that Duck fans needed any more excitement for the season to get underway, um, but another thing, another storyline that has been that a lot of people have made a lot of or been asking about throughout the off season and certainly uh, in this week leading up to the game, leading up to kickoff, is what advantages both teams have. Seeing that there's so much carryover between the staff, obviously landing coming over from Georgia, Brian McClendon coming over from Oregon and then reuniting uh, in Athens um, with his alma mater. Um, and they were basically just, he was, Lanning was saying that both he and Kirby Smart have a good feel for what the other is going to do defensively. And then he also continued, quote, sometimes coaches get too cute. It matters what my players know and what they can execute going to come down to explosive plays, takeaways, who can out hit, who can out hustle, who can tackle on the perimeter. Um, so it seemed like it, it was just, um, you know, something that a lot of people are thinking about, but maybe making too much of, because he was kind of saying, you know, we, we know that there's going to be those advantages, you know, like maybe some instances here and there where they know what's maybe to be expected, but it, it, it reminds me almost of like, you know, like a, like a, a Stanford of old type of situation. Like we're going to run the ball. You, we know that, you know, we're going to run the ball, but you haven't shown us that you can stop it. You haven't shown us that you can be more physical, that you can finish plays that that you can force turnovers so i think that that answer was just you know kind of inferring you know say what you want about all of that but if our guys can't execute it doesn't mean squat yeah i know uh we don't talk about mario cristobal in the highest of light anymore uh in the highest of regards these days anymore but one thing that he said uh after the washington game last year uh in reference to travis die going crazy with I think he had more than 200 rushing yards in that game last season. Um, it's the he, Chris Ball said it's the ultimate um, sign of respect. It's the ultimate win that your opponent knows what you're going to do and you still do it with success. Um, so I really like that landing kind of is following that same type of uh, vibe. 
you know, saying that coaches can't get too cute. I feel like I have definitely been thinking something like that will go on, you know, all the crossover. It just feels like one huge, huge uh, chess match before the game has even started. You know, Lanning knows Kirby Smart so well. He knows Todd Munkin, uh, who is calling the plays for the Georgia offense. Um, and I love that he said that we're not getting too cute because in my head, I was thinking of all the ways, you know, the, all the reverse psychology, all the thinking, oh, he thinks I'm going to do this. I like that Lanning's keeping it simple. We're going to do what we know is going to work. Yeah, no doubt about it. One of the last quotes that I want to get to that uh, I think is really cool to just kind of give us another feel of the mindset of Lanning and this team heading into this game against the Georgia Bulldogs is because he said it multiple times throughout his pressers is play the game, not the occasion, um, which is so cool because it's just, you know, he in this age of sports media with digital media, I think it's so easy for all this stuff to surface on social media and, you know, players uh, or coaches just, just make too much of the little things. Um, this, this answer was also in part due to uh, Braden Swinson saying that he maybe felt like he was a little overlooked by Georgia and Lanny was asked, uh, you know, hey, are you going to be kind of reminding him, like, you know, Georgia overlooked you more or less? Uh, but he's like, no, we're not really going to be doing that. You know, just keep them focused on the task at hand. That's my job. That's our job as coaches. And we expect the same thing of our players. So no need to overcomplicate it. Don't feed into the hype and just go out and and show what you've been working on the whole offseason and, and what you want the rest of the country to know and think about Oregon football. Yeah. Lanning, um, I, I really, again, like that quote. He says all the right things, doesn't he? Um, I, I'm ready for Oregon to show the nation again that they're not messing around. And I think that, you know, uh, you can even tell by the way this uh, Oregon game is scheduled. You know, it's in the middle of the day. It's uh, at noon for us here on the uh, – or 1230, excuse me, for us here on the West Coast. Um, it's not the primetime game, and it's the national champions uh, in the that they're playing. So I think that says enough for uh, what the the media thinks uh, of Oregon, and I think they are ready to prove that they're in that elite conversation. Last point I want to get to. I like this comment here from Sko Ducky, saying this game is a measuring stick on how this season will go. Um, yeah, I don't. See, I don't know if I would agree for the whole season, like how the whole season's going to go, because a majority of Oregon's opponents are not on this level. But it's a really good measuring stick to just see where Oregon's at. Um, like, I'd be really curious to see how this game plays out and then compare it to, you know, how did we feel about this team after the Ohio State game versus how do we feel about this team after the Georgia game, even though there's obviously new players, new coaches, and so many things to factor into. But uh, this kind of reminds me of what Lanny was saying when he was asked, like, would you wish, did you wish that there was maybe a game where you could kind of tune things up before you hop into a game like this? And he's like, no, there's no powder up game here. You get to play real competition really quickly and we're pumped about it. So I don't know if I would say for the entire season, how the whole season's going to go, but it's definitely going to give us a really good sense of where this Oregon team is at. And regardless of what happens, you can say we went out there and played against the national champions and, and we know where we stack up and where we have to grow to kind of get to their level. It's, it's really tough to say because, yes, I agree. Georgia is on a different level from the rest of uh, Oregon's opponents. And it feels like we've been looking at this game so much uh, for very good reason, of course. But we've been looking at this game so much that we're not thinking about Eastern Washington coming to town next weekend. We're not thinking about the BYU game. I'm not thinking about going to Cal Berkeley. I don't even want to start saying that. Any of the NorCal Pac-12 schools, I'll probably get nervous again. Um, just bad, bad memories from last season um, and seasons before. But I think it will be uh, definitely interesting to see how how Oregon does. And I think that you can use it a little bit as a measuring stick, but Oregon beat Ohio State last year and then lost to Stanford. So, you know, it's, it's all about uh, playing your game, not necessarily playing to your other team's level. Yeah, so we got to see if Oregon can play up to Georgia's level. Uh, I think that they're uh, up for the task. Uh, really fun episode today, Graham. We're going to go ahead and wind down. Uh, 
Shout out to Mikey G for this nice comment. Mikey G says, gotta say thanks to Max for all the great content and keeping us informed during this crazy off season. Always in my feed with breaking slash relevant news. Appreciate it, Max. Appreciate you, Mikey, for all the continued support uh, of my work on Ducks Digest and then here on the Ducks Dish podcast. If you guys want a bigger view of week one of college football, I just recorded a an episode of the Pac-12 Takeover podcast, my Pac-12 podcast, where I give my previews and picks of the entire week one slate in the Pac-12. So go ahead and check that out. Um, but Graham, where can people find more of you? Uh, before I get into that, I just want to give a quick shout out to all of our uh, guys watching live with us right now who've been with us throughout this crazy offseason. Guys, we finally made it. We're right there on the doorstep of uh, – some more Oregon football. So we made it and thanks for the crazy off season journey, but you can find all my stuff right here. Oh, tried to get, yeah, there we go. Right there. My handle Graham Metzger always seemed to get the point wrong. Um, I'm doing a lot of stuff for ducks digest. It's football season. So we're back. I'm doing a bunch of stuff for KWVA 88.1 FM UO's uh, campus radio. I'm hosting, I'm producing games over there. So go check me out on KWVA and just stay tuned for a great Oregon football season. Absolutely. Well, if you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at mtorussports right there. If you guys are watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash Oregon football, Max Taurus, smash the like button, smash the subscribe button. Uh, it's a tremendous help to what we're doing, trying to grow our coverage and then share the Ducks Dish podcast. That is a big help as we try to grow the community. You saw how everybody was showing out in the comments, a lot of great discussion. Uh, and we do this show pretty often. I'm trying to ramp it up. So I'm super excited. want to say thanks to Graham for giving me some of his time to hop on this episode of the podcast. Thank you to you guys for your questions. And thank you to you guys for your support and uh, watching and listening to the Ducks Dish podcast. That'll do it. Make sure you guys tune in tomorrow. Uh, we'll probably have an episode breaking down the game, maybe a live show uh, after the Georgia-Oregon game. So stay tuned for that. But uh, until next time, thank you so much for listening to the Ducks Dish podcast. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com